It's like, a, I think that's a joke that my parents used to tell me. <laughs> that's the punchline. I'm, it's not, oh, it's, that's the punchline. I was, if that's a joke, that's not a very good joke. No, no, that was the punchline. And it's, I'm, it's not a good, it's not a good joke. And it's like <laughs> terribly crass and yeah. Oh my goodness. I know, I know. Shocked. Yeah, it's, it's true. So I've got, I, um, I've got this all figured out now, Don. I, I now, yeah. yeah oh, this is, it's only taken, um, oh, seven and a half years of podcasting and uh and and one 100 and whatever 30 days or seven days whatever it is i've I've been at home podcasting Mm -hmm. um i make uh (laughs) i make more coffee than i normally would so i i now i i have i've made i've made some coffee so it's in a it's in a mug and then i went and made more coffee that's in my uh in my pour over uh bowl erlenmeyer flask which is not erlenmeyer i just i I like that word more than round bottom (laughs) flask so much better uh so i've got so i i could i I know you have uh um you've got a hard out today i could I, i literally could sit here and drink coffee and talk to you for for hours I mean, as much as th- <laughs> as much as many as as many as uh, three, as few as two hours. Uh, so, so we're good. So I've got it. I'm just telling you, I got it all figured out now. This is it. I I, I don't have to leave my office. I've I now I now put a, my office in my house. Um, I now lock the door so my kids don't like <laughs> open up the door, and they know if I'm talking to like knock like this, like Dad. Dad. Can you hear that knock? Is it is yeah, it like yeah, it's, it's it, just yeah. a light knock? Light and, knock, yeah. Yeah. Not like you know, open up the door and and barge in and ruin our audio. Um because <laughs> uh, we're professionals here, Don. We're we are. We're a bunch we of care, professionals. We care a lot about our audio. Can and speaking of that, can you hear the fan? <laughs> no, I can't. See, because oh, you okay. you must have a you've got a buffer. You've got a fan buffer or something. Um uh, uh, no, no, it, I, I, I can hear it. Um, I can't hear it in my headphones. I think it's because I've got a directional mic and the mic is pointing at my mouth. Uh, and it's so it's not uh, picking up the fan. I, I have actually in this in this office. Uh, it's oh, this is a, this is a bit of a digression. Uh, welcome to fan safety talk. Um, so I. Uh, we one of the first things we did when we moved into this house was we put in central air. And my my wife reminded me this of this the other day. She said when the guy put in the central air, he said, you know, there's something wrong with oh, your no. duct work. Um, like the like the these rooms are gonna get super uh, uh, cold. And, and these rooms are not. And so basically our bedroom and Kristen's sewing room um, get plenty of AC. And then the, uh, the room we call the closet room and the room that's my office, um, not so much. And so – but that's okay. It's fine. I can just turn on the fan and sweat a little bit uh, when I'm working in here. But it's a little bit bad. It's not the best for audio. But, it, but if you can't hear it – and, you know, oh. like I said, if, you're, if you are listening to this show – for the audio quality and the lack of uh, verbal stutter, you 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 probably uh, uh, are listening to the wrong show. Yeah, yeah, that's not what you're gonna get here. Go listen to no. a different show. Listen to an overproduced uh, federal agency show where they read a script. 
Um, they, they have well, those exist. Fancy, uh, fancy yeah. NPR shows where they're where they're you know they over over engineer it. Oh, but speaking of uh, verbal tics, um, I we, and we 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 ch chatted about this in text. Um, I uh, or yeah, I think in text or maybe 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 on Twitter too. Uh, I have started using or I, I have used once now this amazing app uh, that Merlin's been talking about called Descript. Right. Yes. One of the things that Descript does is it lets you take out ums and ahs. And what? the other thing that I noticed is because it transcribes everything that you say, um, you know, I, I, I know I don't want to, you know, um, cast aspersions. You have other verbal tics, Ben, but, but, <laughs> I, but I have verbal tics, too, and I did not know it. I, right. But when you see like, like, uh, Oh, like, 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 like that was probably one right there. Right. Yep. yep. Um, uh, and that was one of mine. Yeah. I'd yeah, say, when, yep. When, three, four times. <laughs> I, I know these things. I don't need to read the transcript but, to see this. Well, well, but, it, but when you read the transcript, mm, um, it does mm. sort of point it out to you. And then the other great thing is you could do a search and replace, or you can do a search and then you can just delete like two of the things of the three things so that, you know, or, or all of them, if it's like, or something that you want to just get rid of anyways, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty friggin' cool app. So, well, if we did that, our podcast would be about 26 minutes long. So <laughs> I think we're looking for, we need, yeah. Now all of a sudden we've got a whole content issue. If we start doing that, I, so, so you, use, well, but you're, you're saying that our vocal ticks are content. I'm not sure that that's true. They're it's filler. In, it's in the show. It's in the show. Uh, I, I looked at, so it's funny that you mentioned this because I looked at the transcripts. So, so Don, um, and, and I want to actually, and, and this, of course this is fascinating for everyone, but, um, I want to talk about the process of editing it and was it easy or, you know, was it the same, but, uh, but I, I looked at the transcript and I, I opened it up. I scrolled through the first page. I saw my ums and ahs, and I closed the transcript. And I thought, "Yep, that's about what I thought." But I, but I took those out. There's a few of mine. Okay. Yeah. See, okay. I, 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 I hide a whole bunch of verbal ticks for you. Um, I, <laughs> I put them very close to other words. Uh, I, I maybe I'll, I'll stretch a word out. Um, yeah. So, the, yeah, there was there there was a there was quite there it wasn't. There were quite a few, and I thought, okay, I'm I'm good. I I, I know what I say. I know how I sound. <laughs> I yeah. But it but but Descript does have like this you know one setting like take out take out ums and ahs, and it does that. But then the other the other verbal ticks you have to you have to to find. But yeah. Again, it's pretty easy to see. So did so so you edited the podcast in that. Like, is that how this works? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. so and, instead of GarageBand. Okay. All right. I, maybe I'm so gonna try it, that. It is. I mean, it's expensive, right? I mean, it's more expensive than GarageBand, which is free. Free, right? Um, yeah. And it and it does take a little bit of getting used to, but it, it's it's very fun. I mean, it it really is. It just it really is fun. Um, and that's it's also it's also really good. Like like so. What one of the things that I do? Well, this is a little bit of a inside the show, um, uh, inside baseball, um, sports, inside sports ball talk. Sports, but, yeah. Um, one of the things that I try to do is, as we're talking, is I open tabs in Safari, right? And 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 try to open tabs whenever we're talking about something relevant. But I might also just open a tab kind of as a place marker for something we talked about. Because as soon as the show is done, ideally, I would write the, the show description, right, for the ones that I edit. Right. But the problem is, if time goes by, I forget all the stuff we talked about. And if there's not a Safari tab link that goes with the topic, that topic might not be in the show description, right? But it yep, might be yep. something really 
fun and interesting. Um, but the great thing if you're using Descript is you can actually just sort of page through. It's like, okay, well, oh. just page through. What do we talk about? What do we talk about? Right. And so, and then That's the other thing we should, probably also, yeah, we should probably also talk about is whether it's worth, and you, you may not want this for, you know, um, uh, 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 embarrassment reasons. We could, we could post this transcript for each show if we wanted to. I think we could do that. I'm, I'm good with it. I'm, I'm just uh, making, making fun of me. I don't, it's look, this, the transcript's not for me because I was here. I said it, some of it, and then you said the other part of it. You almost made me spit out my. That's good. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I still don't have my bell at home, right? Like, so I couldn't hit my bell. Um, so uh, thank you. Yeah. So, but but I'm yeah I'm totally fine. I think that's a good idea. Let's put the transcript. You know, I've been I've been more aware of lots of things that I hadn't thought about before, including. Um, individuals that have trouble with accessibility for a variety of things in, you know, the, um, COVID-19 food safety materials that, that we put together, we've had a few individuals connect with us about readdressing how we, how we, uh, put our pictures together. So as, so that, so it provides accessibility, um, tell, tell me, tell me more. Yeah. Tools like, so there, you know, um, if you post, a PDF that that has an image, there's an opportunity for you to put accessibility information oh, embedded right. into it. What like this is a picture of a yeah of a, a, a pretty lady wearing a mask. <laughs> right, right. Because if it doesn't say that, it just says like image, image yeah. four, image yeah. seven. So yeah. so we've been I've been thinking about that and trying to to figure out how to add that into the workflow. You and I had a really interesting um uh, email conversation, uh, and I, we didn't talk about this in the last podcast, but with our friend NeuroNerd, um, Veronica Bryant. And Veronica had uh, a She works for the um, North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, and she had some questions about deaf blind resources for COVID nineteen. Yeah, and and so so I, I like so I'm I, I actually think that adding the transcript is really good. You know, I, you know, at the heart of a podcast. It's an audio podcast, right? But that doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who might be interested in our content that that have ways to take transcripts and put that into some level of accessibility uh, that I don't know about, right? Like I, I assume that there's there's got to be some like um, you know take this take this word document and it transfers it into some like electronic braille that you know a, a finger pad or something like that mm -hmm. so so i so i'm i'm all for it i think we should do it i think we should post them even with my ums ahs um we yeah, there's one there we can leave them in we well, can cut them out but whatever yeah and it does <clears throat> I think it, and and so of course it's partly about efficiency, and I, I'm not. It definitely so it's Descript is really interesting, right, in how it works because it does, it does all of it does its work in the cloud, and that's why it's so damn good at what it's doing. Is it's using some high-powered transcription engine that doesn't sit on your computer, right? Like there's an interface on your computer, but you upload the audio, it goes up into the cloud, the the transcription gets done in the cloud. Um, and then, and then you're editing on your laptop, right. Or your computer, but then it's, but, th but that is making corresponding edits to the version, I guess, that's in the cloud. And then you have to, you have to export the audio and all of that takes some time. Right, so I'm right. not sure it's probably more efficient to keep doing it in GarageBand, but it's kind of fun to do it in Descript. And like I said, I mean, it's, if it, if it was about efficiency and cost savings, it would be just, I just keep doing it in GarageBand, but I, you know, I, 
I mean, yeah. So anyway, I, I, I'm just, I'm really excited about what they're doing and they do seem to be uh, like, like GarageBand is going to continue to grow and evolve, but it's really not for making podcasts, right? It's for, it's for really for doing music stuff, right? It's right, right there in the name GarageBand, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Descript is really about, you know, it says it right here, creating podcasts, videos, and transcripts, right? And and so that's what it's for, and and they and they are, and it is actively developed, right? And so, and it's not, it's like you know, I think it's for the for the version that we have. There's, you can do a free version, but we maxed out the free version with with our first episode because <laughs> it's because it's because it's because we upload separate tracks, um, and so I think you get you get two hours for free and and an hour and a half of me and an hour and a half for you that's three hours so so I like I think I'm paying 10 bucks a month for it but anyway it's uh, and you can get an academic license but that's got limitations on it so anyway I'm I'm I, I'm I'm gonna try it for a while I'm not committing to it but I'm gonna try it for a while just because it's, it's interesting and fun well I'm gonna try it too I'm gonna do because this episode's mine to, to edit so I'm gonna try it out um, one thing I uh, two 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 things on this discussion one is um, my, you know, my group, we do a lot of interviews where we, uh, use voice memo on, on an iPhone and then record them and then, uh, use a, sub a subscription, a transcription service right now where we, you know, I, it, it, I don't actually know how it works. We basically upload stuff into a cloud and, and it spits out, um, transcripts over time. Like there's some, there's some like person who checks it. Um, but what we may do is maybe I'll look at this team one, uh, and for $15 a month and they don't, uh, <laughs> it sounds like we're doing a Descript, uh, advertisement. We don't know these people at all, but I'm going to check it out and see if we can do our, um, our, 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 um, interviews as well, because it might really help us. Uh, cause I, I think we pay, it's like a 99 cents a minute or something for transcripts. So, so that's, this is, but I don't know if this is as good. I'm going to try, we, we can do this in parallel. So the second thing about editing a podcast I wanted to tell you about mm -hmm. is that you and I do this podcast with minimal edits. Um, and, and we have this other podcast, Risky or Not, which also has minimal edits. Uh, I made a uh, pilot. I'm going to say it's a pilot of, or maybe episode one of another podcast. And we talked about this in the last episode because I got some really good ideas from you. I went and executed them. And edited uh, about a forty-minute podcast that that was an interview podcast that where where I sort of strung a narrative together with these interviews, and Don, that's hard. It's way it's way more. There's way more like clipping and moving clips around and trying to figure out how what's the best way. Like like uh, like um, GarageBand's not really set up for that where where you have a bank of of clips and you want to move them from a bank into a linear narrative because that's not how we do podcasts and that's not how um, um I guess like a song is kind of like that where but but it's not it, it's not really super intuitive in the GarageBand app on how to how to move stuff um back and forth and then and, and move it around so anyway I spent um I conducted these three interviews or sorry four interviews couple of them last week and a couple this week and ended up with about two hours worth of raw audio and, and then edited that down to, um, yeah, to about 40 minutes. And then now it's with the, the wizards at the, at the Delta, the group at uh, NC state university who are adding like music and taking out my Oz and doing other, like cleaning up the, the audio. So I, it, anyway, it is, you, you had mentioned something 
I thought, yes, this your what you had said is, man, that seems like a lot of work, and I can confirm it is a <laughs> lot of work. Uh, but here's the here's the thing: I was really excited to do the work because I think there's a really cool narrative and it got me thinking so anyway this this is not the launch of a new podcast yet because currently there's only one episode that i can't release publicly um so it's just for my just for you and me and my friends uh no it's going to be part of a class uh that uh, is are has already started for all incoming nc state students and uh in a couple of weeks this this podcast will go will go live and then once it goes live i'm gonna create another place on the internet to put it um, and I called it, uh, eating during a pandemic. And I think that that's mm. the name of the show. Um, yeah. and, and so what, what I'm thinking of doing is maybe like six episodes in, in the next, um, in the next couple of months and then releasing them all, uh, kind of like, you know, kind of like people do in, uh, in the world of Netflix. Cause there's a common thread through all of these and there's a level of production that, that I need to kind of like add on. It's not like, Hey, record and, and put it out there. But I was thinking, so th this, the one that I did was focused on the restaurant industry. And so I interviewed um, folks that I know uh, nationally and here in North Carolina and talked to uh, an operator of a restaurant here in, in Raleigh about what, you know, re really like, so, so you gave me, I'm, I'm going to like spill the whole thing here. You gave me some ideas about questions and I distilled it down to really three big questions. So what, when did you know that? COVID-19 was big. Like this was a big deal. This is not like anything that we had seen before. What were the, what were the cues? And, and so I got some really good like insights on that. And then I, you know, a, more about was, w okay. So, so you recognize this was big. Tell me about all the things that you've changed. What are the, what are the struggles? What are the challenges? And then the third question was really, what don't you know? What, like where, where's the uncertainty still? And, um, and so, so I, you know, I kind of got a bunch of really good audio or that I think is really good audio and, and strung it together. So, so anyway, it was, but damn those, like I was talking with Danny about this because she's a, a very much a consumer of the produced narrative, uh, podcast. She's, she's a mm -hmm. consumer of many podcasts, but that is one, one sort of genre that she, she enjoys. And she's like, I think this is hard. Like, I think, you know, when you think about it, it's not just people talking and it's, and I, I can confirm it's hard and I'm not sure. Um, it, like it was, I, I don't know if I could catalog exactly how many hours, but it was probably in the 30 hours of work, uh, to right. do, to do an episode right. somewhere in there. That would be my guess. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that, you know, the, what you're talking about, it seems like, again, not to, to shill for Descript, but it seems like that might really work well, right? Because you, you then you can just, you can edit text. You're looking at text and you're editing text, um, which is editing the audio. Yeah. And that, you, you know, I mean, and, and so it just, I don't know how well it handles like multiple projects and importing and exporting. I think it probably should, would, could do that all pretty well. So it really... Um, you know, if you're looking for, oh, what, which person said the thing about whatever you can find that much more easily. Right. And yeah, I don't know. It just, it seems like it might, it might help that, I'm gonna try especially it. a project like that. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to try, I'm going to try it. Um, so, so anyway, uh, yeah, this, the, I guess this is a little nugget of, there's going to be some sort of a podcast in the future and it may just be one episode because I flamed out on the others. Mm. Um, but, but maybe it's more and, uh, yeah. So, so anyway, um, so, so we got that. Uh, okay. 
other things the warm up you know for us right we're we're not we're 20 minutes in and i've got to talk about the things that we we're watching um have you watched dairy girls have we talked about this we've talked about it i have not watched it you gotta I've watch the show i i've watched hmm, yeah, <laughs> we need to be on a network where we have to do special challenges um but uh very, very much looking forward to uh so so um merlin does this show with uh with uh, uh john Sarkusa. Um, Sarkusa, Sarkusa. um, uh, called reconcilable differences. And that John has been trying to get Merlin to watch this, uh, um, uh, Japanese anime movie called, um, uh, millennial millennium, millennium actress. And Merlin has not watched it, but now they have this special, um, promotion, you know, uh, membership, uh, Patreon thing where, you know, John is going to force Merlin to watch it. He has to watch it so that they can get the money from the Patreon. So, um, anyway, I forget what my point was with, with this, but yeah, so we need something like that so that I can watch it. So I've mentioned it, I've mentioned it a couple times to my wife and, you know, as, as, as is well known to you and to other listeners of the podcast, um, or other, other to listeners of the podcast, um, basically she controls the remote, right? Like right. I, I commandeered, I commandeered the remote, on July 4th, um, uh, because she was up in the sewing room doing sewing and I was in, in the middle of the day cause it was a weekend. I was, um, uh, not, I don't usually watch TV in the middle of the day, but I was doing my taxes. And so in a, a spirit of patriotism, I watched 1776, uh, which is my, I think it's, I'd say it's my first favorite musical about, uh, revolutionary wartime. Uh, and then a couple, <laughs> a little while later we watched Hamilton, which is my second favorite musical about those times. Um, uh, which, which was, which was quite good as well. Uh, very different from 1776, but, uh, what was my point in all this? So, so I, there are, there are seldom opportunities when I can commandeer the TV. Um, and that was one of them. Um, but yes, you, it's, it, it's, you, you, it's well-established that you want me to watch well, so it's i've mentioned it before but i actually haven't watched it until yesterday and now oh. i'm in so it's so uh yeah danny was really loves this show i watched three episodes last night and man it's good it's and you will you'll love it it's it's northern ireland you can't like hardly understand exactly what people are saying it's dark but it's funny so i feel like that, that oh, it's really, right. it does really sound like it's within our in our wheelhouse exactly sure. yeah there's bombs because it's happening in the 90s so it's uh, it, it's a uh, it's a coming of age story don for a group of teenagers in um in in uh, dairy um ireland northern ireland uh some sometimes known as london dairy depending on your persuasion mm-hmm. um so the other thing that i watched with the entire family uh, was, well, two things. We did watch Hamilton, although we didn't finish Hamilton. Um, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a stretch for, for two members of my family. Um, that being our Ooh, children, which two? the oh, children, really? they, did, yeah. they weren't into it. One, one kid, um, Jack just, I mean, rolled his eyes for the full hour and 20 minutes that we watched that we got into it about could he just go to bed and not read and not do anything this is worse than just going to bed and laying there um and we said and we said no this is important you need to watch this everyone's watching this um so i'm sure we've we've scarred him he will never watch a musical again uh sam loved the music had no idea what was going on and i would say that that was very much i'm almost in that in that camp yep um because there's a lot it's there's a lot of movement the the lyrics are so fast um so i feel like it's i i enjoyed it It, uh, i i actually really enjoyed it as a um 
I don't know the art of it. I think I need to watch it a couple more times to really get it. Like I and and I'm on like this is how this is how we're watching this, and, and I'm glad we didn't go see it in the theater because. I'm, I, we're constantly just calling out like, well, who is that? Oh, that's uh, Lafayette. Well, what, what would, who is he? Who's Aaron Burr? What are these people? So and, then why is, and why is uh, Lafayette uh, saying in the second act that he's Thomas Jefferson? Right, right. Exactly. So we haven't even got there, but I know that because it's in, it's in Wikipedia. And so right. I'm, so I'm reading Wikipedia back and yelling out back and forth about what's happening. <laughs> so that, that was our experience in watching Hamilton. So if you, if you're a Hamilton lover, you probably do not want to watch it at my house. I enjoyed that. I like, there was something about like, there's this art. It's, it's almost like, um, listening to an album for the first time and you don't know them, the words, right? Like, cause it's the first time you've heard it. And you're trying to listen along. You, you there's a there's music that you're you're really into, and and I think I needed to know the songs, stop them, listen to them over and over again. Yeah. I needed to view. I needed to view it more like a like a here is a representation of an album, and I needed to know right. the album first. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and honestly, yeah. I mean, for sure. So I had listened to the. I bought the soundtrack. I'd listened to it a bunch of times. Not not nearly as much as certain other <clears throat> people we've mentioned previously on this mm-hmm, podcast. Mm-hmm. I won't I won't name check him again. Um. But but that's very helpful because then you know the story. You know the basic beats of the story. And now and then we we saw it on we saw it on Broadway too, which we've talked about. Um. Because Gordon, <laughs> Gordon and Andrew and their friends didn't end up going, so we bought their tickets from them. Um. Uh. But but yeah. So it's uh. It's and it and it's there's a lot going on, right? Yeah. It's a very visually complex thing. And actually, somebody. So I did. I do want to to promote another another podcast. I I was a guest uh, yesterday on the the wonderfully titled um, Uncle Weepy's Depression Dungeon. Oh yeah, um, yeah. you mentioned Uncle. Is, yes. Yeah. 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 Which is the, their their uh, uh, subtitle is the least helpful self help podcast. But but uh, we talked. I was a guest there. We talked about COVID nineteen, but we also talked about Hamilton. Um, and the 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 point that what was the point that they were oh that they were making one of the person people on the podcast was saying that what they didn't like was like they if you when you film a broadway show you have to choose like wide angle or close up and and if and if you like you want to watch what's going on over here and they're focusing the camera over there you can't see what's going on and so then one of the people mentioned that they found that be very distracting they uh. would much rather just see the broadway show so they could they could pay attention whatever they wanted to pay attention to and not and not go where the camera was wanting you to go like so. the wide the wide wide angle the whole time right like yeah like, exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And I think it, it like so I think if I had seen the play or the musical, is it a play or is it a musical? Is it both? Am I getting are we going to get mail? I think it's a, a not nah, nah, <laughs> I've stopped reading. I mean, I've I've apologies to all of our not very nice listeners who have been sending me messages. I've just been so overwhelmed. I've just been throwing them into a folder and so uh apologies if you've emailed us. Um I, we'll get to it at some point, yeah. I promise. After um, the we'll get them after the <clears> pandemic. <throat> But is it? Yeah, <laughs> um, I would say it's a musical. It's a musical. Okay, so so I, I I think it would have been. I think if I had seen the musical first, I could see how that perspective would be difficult because you you like there are certain um, aspects about seeing some sort of a live show presentation that you want to control what you're looking at. And, and it could be frustrating to not have that control, not like coming into this fully, fully clothed, fully clothed and fully cold. Um, we, no one, none, none of us really knew, like literally here are the things that we knew about Hamilton. It's about history. 
Lynn Manuel, no, Lynn Moran, Lynn Manuel, Manuel Miranda. Miranda wrote it, and we've seen him on uh, Jimmy Fallon multiple times, and he seems really funny, and I like the style of music, and that's it. Those are the two, the, and that it's on Disney Plus. Those are the three things that we knew about Hamilton, um, and that many people like. God, you knew the last one, otherwise you couldn't have watched. It. Right, right, yeah, yeah, and it was so all those things. So, um, and I like I, I even had to look up, and this is this is the Canadianisms uh, or Canadian aspect of this. I had to look up who, wh- what side was Alexander Hamilton on? Who, where, when was this? Is this the is this the Civil War? Is this the Revolutionary War? Is this the War of eighteen twelve? What what's happening? Are, and then you know all of that that stuff. That was a lot of my Wikipediaing. But but also, um, if if there was a, a Canadian musical called Diefenbaker, <laughs> you would have to do the same thing. <laughs> when was he prime minister? Where? What? What's the deal? Did was he the guy who was involved with making underwear? What? What's up with him? Was he a wartime guy? So ben, so Ben, every everyone knows that he appointed the first female minister in Canadian history to his cabinet, as well as the first Aboriginal member of the Senate. Everyone knows this, Ben. Well, During his six years as prime minister, his government obtained the passage of the Canadian Bill of Rights and granted the vote to First Nations and Inuit peoples. I'm, everyone knows this, Ben. Look, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you that that would make a pretty good musical and pr- and progressive. <laughs> it would. It would. <laughs> um, so so anyway, that was uh, that was. After you, after you finish your podcast, you can go make the musical musical Diefenbaker. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you know what? Maybe Drake should make the musical Diefenbaker. Um, he's a he's a Canadian uh, rapper, hip hop artist. Uh, so it, I think it would be perfect. Thirteenth Prime Minister of Canada. Um, 1957 to 63. Um, so, uh, anyway, so we watched, we watched Hamilton. That was my experience. The one, the, so, and, and I, and I think we will finish it. I, I did watch two other things. Um, uh, well, and actually I think I might've mentioned this last time we, we completed, there's a documentary on Theranos um on HBO that was really really good that you, that he's the he's the marvel villain that's the Mar- right? that's the marvel guy <laughs> this is, it's his origins it's his origin story uh no it's about Elizabeth uh Elizabeth Holmes i think it is uh and her uh rise to fame of a, a, a company that doesn't do anything that that uses other people's tests and sells them at Walgreens uh but it it was just fascinating it's a great it's a, and so there was uh, of course i I've, I've watched now the the popular documentary that's on HBO Max, they it exists. There's a um, a series of articles that were written in the Wall Street Journal and an, an entire book about it and a podcast. I haven't listened to any of those things or done any of that. I just watched the quick and dirty uh, movie and it was and it was good. Uh, but here, here's where I really wanted to get Don. We rewatched Castaway with Tom Hanks. Um, did you ever watch that movie? Like, yes. Okay. So I think it maybe at least once, maybe twice. Yeah. Man, it was watch. So we watched it as a family, um, w- you know, with the kids, and it was phenomenal. It was really, really good. And it was, um, I, I, I am now more and more. Th- there are a list of a few actors and actresses that if if they are in, or actors, uh, if they're in, I'm canceled now. Um, if they are in a movie, I'm gonna watch them. And so it's mm-hmm. like, um. Uh, Kristen Wiig, I, everything that she does, I find re- really funny. I think she's really like super, super clever. Uh, uh, George Clooney, Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, 
and Tom Hanks. If any of those are, in, if any of them are in a movie, it's, it, I love it. It's good. Um, so speaking of Tom Hanks movies, have you seen Bridge of Spies? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We've talked about it maybe. Yeah. Yes. Great, yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And that was, that was one that, um, that we may go back and watch as a family because I think the kids are also like very much into Tom Hanks now. Um, so, so anyway, we watched a bunch of Tom Hanks. There's a new Tom Hanks movie coming out on, on the, on the Apple plus. Uh, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, submarine movie. Submarine. Uh, yeah. Greyhound. Great. Great. Yeah. Greyhound. Greyhound. Gray sub. Gray subs. Uh, so, so I think we're going to watch that anyway, but Castaway stood really stood up for us. Like I remember watching it in the theater and it's, it's still good. It's still a good movie. So, cool. yeah. So check, so check that out when you're done with the Japanese anime of uh, millennial girlfriend, millennial. That's <laughs> different. That's different. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a good reference. Not that's bad, right? Nice one. Nice, nice pull. <laughs> Um, so yeah, what's going on with you? You got, you got a fan going, um, that I can't hear. Um, coffee, drinking my seltzer. It's a little bit hot. Is it, a little is, bit hot. A little yeah. bit hot in New Jersey. It's hot and humid. Uh, 78 degrees, um, outside. Hold on. I will tell you what it feels like on my weather application here. Whoops. That's my pedometer application. 78 uh, This is why people turn it, tune in, Ben. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, 79 and it feels like 83, uh, in, in my room here in my private office, it feels, um, eh, it's comfortable, man. It's only 77 here. We got, uh, mm. are you guys still uh, killing people with the COVID-19 like we are? Is that still happening? Up there? Uh, I think you're winning. Oh gosh. What a mess. What a mess, Don. That's yeah. sad. Things are sad. Things are, things are sad. Uh, I was reading that Rhode Island and Massachusetts are doing very well. Uh, and New, and New Zealand. Yeah, the whole, the whole, honestly, the whole Northeast is doing quite well. <sighs> yeah. We're, we're not, we're not doing good. It's uh, so yeah. So we'll, I'm sure we'll, we're going to talk about that. Um, but what else, what else is going on? Um, I, I, well, so I had, I got up, I woke up early this morning, um, and I have, I have a hard out at 11 and I had not done my homework uh, for the hard out. Um, and so, so I, do we need to finish early? Do we, do you have no, to do no, I, okay. did, I, I got up early. I did it before the podcast, but oh, I did man. it with room to spare. Um, so that's been fun. Um, I've been doing a lot. Of, I'm killing it in writing buddies. I've been doing a lot of writing. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm, 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 I don't want to say I'm liking the pandemic, but I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a groove and I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it because soon I'll get like overwhelmed and busy. And I'm kind of feeling a little bit that way. I've got a bunch of, bunch of things that are, you know, uh, deadlines and stuff that are coming up, but yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing, I'm like I said, I'm doing a lot of writing, which I really like, um, doing, and I like getting it done. I like being done with writing. Um, I've been, yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm taking, I don't know if we talked about this or not. So I, we've talked about it off, off the podcast. So I, am mostly finished with a 15 year, um, term of service as editor for applied and environmental microbiology and, uh, opportunities came up to look at being an editor for other journals. Uh, I was just talking about maybe being an editor for food control, which sounds like a ton of work and, and not very much money. Um, editors do get compensated, but it's not, not enough to pay for your time. Um, and then, uh, as I was sort of deciding to not do that, an opportunity came up to be an editor for the journal food microbiology because, um, the editor in chief is stepping down and one of the associate editors, um, is stepping up, um, uh, and he's a modeler. So we, they need another modeler in the, in the ranks. And so I was considered and was happy to do it. And so I've gotten started. So I'm, I'm, I'm still finishing up. I'm not 
I'm not getting any new manuscripts assigned to me as an AEM editor, but I've got to finish off the ones that are in my in my pile. Um, and I'm getting new manuscripts assigned to me as a uh, editor for for Food Micro, which which I'm looking forward to. It's a the plat web platform is different, and I don't like it as much. But it's you know it's whatever. It's a new opportunity, a new challenge. Oh, and the other thing that I've been thinking about and dealing with re relative to the pandemic is, it looks like things are becoming a little bit more clear in terms of what's going to happen at the university in the fall. And then, but it's also more complicated now because apparently there's some nonsense going on with ICE. Oh yeah. Oh, not, not, not what you put in your drink, but the immigration people. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a mess, but it's becoming more clear what's going to happen. So it looks like at Rutgers, we are, uh, laboratories are opening up, which is, which is good for those of us that need laboratories to do our work. Um, it looks like all, almost all undergraduate education is going to be online. It looks like significantly, uh, a significant amount of graduate education is also going to be online. And then we, we're sort of dealing with what do we do about new students that are coming in, um, you know, to the program now in the fall that maybe can't get visas because of COVID-19. And so, yeah, that's been taking up some of my time. Um, yeah, that's what I've been thinking about. Are you, so I, I have some, I have some questions. Um, so mm -hmm. on the, all, almost all undergraduates going to be online. Are, are students coming to like New Brunswick, New Jersey and going to dorms and conduct and doing things online or are they, or does it, is that, is that an option or is that not an option? Because that that's a really good, that's a really good question. And so, um, the, so the, I think I can, I think I can talk about this because it's, I think it's public, but, but I was asked by one of our news people to come up with like five talking points for how to be in a dorm safely. And then they made a video around that. Yeah. Um, as part of their plan to open everything up again. And so the, 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 the answer is that the, they're going to depopulate the dorms, right? So the dorms will not be full. Every room will be single occupancy and maybe not all rooms will be filled. And I think the idea is to bring back – well, actually, it's in the it's in the, the note from the president, which I'll, I'll try to do this from memory without without looking for the note from the president. But um, the president of the university, who seems to be a really good – we have a brand-new president as of July 1, and he seems really cool. Um, so – but basically in his message, he said that we're going to bring it's, – it's students that – um, well, it's, it's international students who can't go home, right? It's um, students who need who who because of you know whatever reason they need housing, right? We need to take care of these students that are our students, and it's students that need to be on campus to be able to do what it is that they do, right? And so, if you're a history major, well, you can probably do that from wherever. But if you are a musician, or you're an actor, or you're a you play an instrument or you paint, you need a studio, right? And so, so those students will be coming back because they need to, essentially they need their laboratories for doing that kind of work, yeah, yeah. right? And so, so those are the students that'll be coming back. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to find the message from, from our president, um, Holloway, um, cause it's a good one. It's, it's thoughtful. I mean, again, I, I could critique them that it took them too long to get here, but on the other hand, it was it was weird because we were doing all this planning, but the president, the president of the university is leaving as of, you know, June, uh, the end of June and the new guy starting first of July. And so, well, um, obviously there was coordination, but, but at the same time, yeah, anyway, so it's just, the whole thing is just, there's just a lot of, a lot. And again, we're a huge, we're a huge university, right? Um, and so there's just a lot of, 
a lot of, a lot of logistics that had to be handled. So, I mean, I would have liked to have been faster, but whatever. I mean, it is, we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. It's ours. So I don't know. I like, obviously there's so much like politics wrapped up into this whole decision. Right. So, so I, we, we are not as, um, I guess conservative as what you, uh, our, our plans don't seem to be as conservative as yours and not, not conservative in a, in like a really bad way, but conservative in a good way. Like people don't get sick. Risk. Uh, (laughs) Risk. Risk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a, not Paul. Right, right, right. And so, so we, we are, um, uh, our, our focus has really been on undergraduate, um, uh, classrooms and the, the, um, I guess the, the, the strategy right from the start was to say our, our most important students, um, and, and this is not like, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing. So, so don't, you know, be like, uh, oh, NC state professor said the most important students are these, um, all my students are, are my favorite. Um, no, but our, our university said that incoming students, especially, um, you know, first year students plus, um, graduating seniors, uh, we want to do everything that we can to give them their experiences in a face-to-face um, uh, setting. And so classrooms have been de- you know, depopulated. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at a third or, in some cases, 20% of capacity. They're moving classes around. People don't even know where they're going to be teaching because of moving from small you know, lecture rooms to larger ones and, and all that kind of stuff. Um I don't know the answer. I asked you about the dorms. I can't, I, it's not something that I really know about on our side of things. I think I've heard that it's one person per room. I don't, I didn't, I haven't confirmed that. And I, I just tried to find it really quick and I couldn't find it. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of pressure from our um, state legislature and, and probably our um, other, you know, advisory groups that, that input to the UNC system. We, we are part of a, larger system of, of colleges and universities across North Carolina and everything's kind of got to be the same and coordinated. And, and so the two big schools, us and, um, UNC Chapel Hill, we, we, we drive the, the membership, but we, we're not the, um, the only individuals. And so, so there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of back and forth. What I want to highlight, um, is something I shared with you already, um, in a text, but um, but we'll we'll link to it in show notes. It was just a really thoughtful piece by someone who we've mentioned on the on the um, podcast before. Her name's Katie Mack. She's mm-hmm. an astrophysicist uh, here at NC State. Re- recently, I think she joined NC State in like 2017. Um, she was super famous uh, as an astrophysicist before mm-hmm. then. I knew her from the internet. Uh, but she 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 wrote a really I, I thought a really thoughtful piece about NC State and just in general bringing college students back to campus and and risks and questions and it's well cited and um, and so so anyway it's that that kind of captures I guess the um, I don't know if it's if if it's raised to the point of a conflict but that captures the the ideas on faculty side as well as administrative side of, of this. And I, I worry that this is going to come to a head. There are a lot of things that I worry about, right? Like what, one thing, and I'll, um, I shared this with someone who I was talking to on a, on, on a zoom conference call yesterday, cause this is what we do. One of the things that we're, we're asked to do and, and I'm happy to do, I don't have a teaching appointment like, like you. And we talked a little bit about this in the last podcast, but one of the things that I'm concerned about is what happens if, the instructors who do have teaching appointments who are, who are, 
um, being asked to do things face to face that they get sick and not just that they're in, you know, you know, 14 day, um, you know, quarantine or, or self-isolation because of exposure and contact tracing and all that kind of stuff. But what happens if they're not able to teach, right? We put them in a situation where they are, and this is the really selfish part. And then now they ask me to teach, right? What am I going to do? I don't know. Like, so, and I'm part of the department. Like that's not, we're not in a situation. People are, are very like, Oh, those things won't happen. I, that's not how we work in food safety, right? Like we don't plan for things that aren't going to happen. We put a lot of things in place thinking about worst case scenarios what happens if we have a, a microbiological test that's positive what what are we looking for we are looking for the worst case scenario and so it's I, I you know I feel like it's very hard for me to turn that part of my brain off um in this situation so I I don't know what we're gonna do and there you know there are um you know you need to have a backup but what who's the backup to your backup and and if we if we experience um, continuously large clusters if we're exposing instructors to you know, the more they, they just have more chances for, um, for exposure because they're out there and I'm not, I'm sitting here in my office in my home, right? Like, like where I'm just not, not, not out there, but the, the, these other individuals who are being asked to teach, um, in person could like very selfishly impact me. <laughs> and yeah, also well, and, it's a problem and, for them. <laughs> and why, why can't they just say, no, I am not going to teach in person. I'm going to, yes, I will teach and I will teach online. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I feel like that's, that's a, it puts them in a really precarious spot. And I'll, and I'll, and I can't remember if we talked about this in the last episode or not, but, but I, I feel for our, um, you know, uh, newer faculty members that aren't like you and I that are sitting with some level of protection of tenure and, and full professor and all that kind of stuff. Right. If I, if I said, Hey, I'm not going to do this, what's the recourse. Right. Like, but, but I, I, even, even someone who, is untenured assistant professor. Um, the recourse really isn't there, but the perception and what that does, I could see them making a decision. I could see myself making a decision in that, if I was in that, that situation that would say, I'm going to do something that I don't feel super comfortable with because I don't know how the rest of my department who's going to vote on whether I get promotion and tenure is going to view this. That's a really bad place to put someone in like that. That's, oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yes. That's terrible. So, so anyway, that's where we're kind of at. And I, I, um, and so we, we will, I, are you starting, are you starting early or are you still, do you guys go back after Labor Day? Is that sort oh, of your traditional? Always, always the Tuesday after Labor Day. And is that never, still the never, case? Never, never, never varies. Yeah. As far as I know. Yes. So we, we moved up, we start, I think it's August 10th. It's a month from now. Um, mm, wow. and we usually go back, I'm looking at my calendar. Like we would usually go back like the 17th or the 20, you know, sometime that week. So we're starting at least a week early. We're finishing everything before Thanksgiving. Um, and yeah, and it's, and, and it's going to be like, we, you know, similar to, to new, to, um, New Brunswick, we're in a, a you know, I would say that you're, that's kind of like an urban area, right? Like it's not you know, it's not a, it's a college town, but you're not, you're not far away from, you know, New York city and Newark and, and, and that we're here in Raleigh, we're in the city. Now all of a sudden we're going to bring in thousands of students to our urban setting, which clearly we're not doing great on social distancing already, but now we're going to bring in a, a another <laughs> set of group people that also may or may not be good at social distancing. Um, yeah, and I, I wouldn't characterize New Brunswick as a college town. I would characterize it as a um, northeast urban environment where there's a college, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not 
not a college town like Athens or Ithaca is a college town. And we should also talk about what Cornell is doing because apparently they did a risk assessment or something and they decided that the students are going to come back to Ithaca anyway. And so they might as well just I don't know. It was. It was. It's. It's been. It's. It. it I've. I've seen some pretty harsh criticism. Well, but. But before we pivot to that, just let me close the loop. So, um, uh, uh just to 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 close the loop on uh, on campus housing at Rutgers. So, uh, what I'm reading from, and so it's complicated because we have a president, but then we have uh, uh, basically uh, chancellors of each of the campuses, and so this is the New Brunswick chancellor, chancellor who is a guy named um, Chris Malloy. And uh, he writes here, um, on-campus housing will be made available for a select number of students. Efforts will be made to accommodate graduate students, international and out-of-state students whose travel home may be significantly curtailed, students experiencing hardships such as food or housing insecurities, and student athletes whose teams are slated to compete. Ooh. Right, and so that's that's who that's who it is and that's a pretty small list yeah, right and yeah. so and then but also and this this doesn't really make any sense to me it says um <clears throat> which oh he talks about which campuses uh, where was it um oh um will housing options be available on all Rutgers New Brunswick campuses and we have we have um basically campuses that you can only get to by by bus right like they're they're not contiguous. Um, and it says no housing, no housing options will be limited to Bush, Livingston and College Avenue campuses. Cook and Douglas and Cook is the campus where I work, uh, will not be utilized to minimize travel and occupancy on campus, which seems a little bit weird. Huh, huh, yeah. I, well, um, if you're a graduate student and you work on Cook, it, it just, that doesn't quite, that sentence doesn't quite add up for me, but I mean, I, I, from a practical point of view, it makes more sense to, you know, to not have all the buildings open, but I, anyway, I, who knows what's going on with that. But anyway, so yeah, so it's, we're, if things are taking shape, but, um, and I think certainly the decision, it does sound like what they're doing is it's going to be very low population density in these dorms, which I think is, is, is great. And what they, or what they say also, um, yeah, de-densifying the residential population by assigning predominantly apartment and semi-private suites complies with guidance from public health officials and enables Rutgers to provide a safe living learning environment for students. And so, yeah, so it's uh, they, they really have thought about this. And I think it, it's, it seems like it's going to be pretty good. Good, good. Yeah, I, I I'm I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping that it's going to be then it's going to be good. I feel like we're. Um, I mean, we're the, this will this will be the understatement of the podcast. Like, we're not done with this yet, right? Like, this is and and it's and and things are going to evolve. Uh, you know, some clusters are going to pop up. We're we're going to have to change course a little bit, um, and and hopefully we just make good decisions on making sure that people are are protected and and that we don't put people in terrible positions to make decisions, right? Like that's that that's the part that that I feel like as a um, as a member of the faculty, I, I don't know, we, we have to do our best to be advocates for others who might not feel as comfortable speaking up about their, you know, th their situation. Um, so, so anyway, that's, that's where, that's where things are at, um, here. And it's, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, I, um, oh yeah. So just, just briefly, uh, just to, again, close the loop on Cornell. So, uh, they're going to have a hybrid approach in-person online and hybrid teaching robust virus testing. 
Yeah. And then modifications to the academic calendar, um, much like you guys returning home for Thanksgiving and finishing the semester early. So, um, yeah. So anyway, it's it's it it, it it it's it, it's going to be interesting to see what it does. Um, because yeah, I mean, I guess the idea is well, um, something like well, we know their students are coming back to Ithaca anyway, and so um, we can't really control that. So we're going to just like when they come back, we're just going to try to test them and then we're going to tell them to like be safe. Yeah, yeah <laughs> something right, right. like that. I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not anyway. It's, it, it's I've heard I've, I and again, I wish I could find it here quickly, but I, I can't. But there's been some criticism do you, uh, of, of the, the Cornell approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Um, do you do you follow um, one of my one of my favorite Twitter followers? Her name is Maylin B. Uh, PhD. She, I, I don't know how I know her. I think it's through Michael Bazzacco, who we know on the, on the internet. She is mm -hmm. a, she lives somewhere in Canada. She's Canadian in the middle of, uh, you know, Manitoba, I think, or Saskatchewan. I'm not sure what she does. Um, but anyway, she's, she's an epidemiologist who's, t who talks quite a bit about, um, like has been talking quite a bit about COVID-19. Do you follow her? Am I taking No, what's, me? what's her name? So it's May Lynn. I'm, I'm going to send you like a ballot. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, yeah. 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 Like I'll, I'll give you a link in, in the people okay. in the in the podcast uh, world. She's she's funny. I think you you I think you would like uh, like the stuff she posts on. Uh, anyway, she put, I'm trying to find a link. Yeah, she, uh, do, she she doesn't sound like thank you. She doesn't sound like somebody. It doesn't sound like somebody I follow. So yeah, I you will, would know because I, I will I will this and I will follow her if I'm not. Yeah, she's pretty prolific. Um, so she she posted something about like um. Where is it? Something. About oh yeah, I am following her. Okay, yes. good, good. So she posted something it's a relatively about relatively recent follow. -up. Cool, oh, yeah. cool. About um, Manitoba and contact tracing, and mm. you know, you know, basically, there's not a whole lot of um, cases in Manitoba. She's like, yeah, because we're like, you know, testing and contact tracing, and that's this is something that we've invested a lot into, and that's one of the things that I worry about in, in the, like. Uh, for us, we we are not going to have, I don't think, like a robust testing protocol on campus when students come back. And, you know, from from the information that's been that's been shared, which is, you know, the is a is our situation is people are going to get tests if they've got symptoms or if they've been exposed, not not anything beyond beyond that. And it's and not for um, employees at NC State or you know, visitors, it's the, the students can go to health services and then us who work there, we go to our, our healthcare providers. So it's not like a coordinated NC state. Here's our testing protocol. Um, and, and so it's no, so anyway, she, you know, I, I think the places that have been very successful have both of those things, right? They've got really, really good contact tracing. And once they get a positive test, they, isolate and contact trace the shit out of it. So anyway, that's yeah. why we're not there. Yeah. And that's, and, and that for sure is, um, the countries that have been very successful, uh, are doing that. Right. And I think there are countries that have really absolutely nailed this. Um, us not so much, although some States are better than others, but, but we, I think we could definitely do more in terms of, uh, testing and tracing. Right. But that takes resources, but you know, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, if only the people that, uh, were out of work could be hired as contact tracers. Right, right, and especially the journalists who are really good at interviewing people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some someone's mentioned that before. Uh, anyway, May, as I'm scrolling through Maylin uh, uh, B's um, 
uh, feed, she's got a quote here from a sports ball guy, Jim Harbaugh, who's a mm. uh, Michigan University of Michigan head coach. So he was quoted, and again, this is the sporting news quotes him. So I'm not, I haven't gone to Snopes to make sure this is what he's saying. So uh, full disclosure, but his quote is COVID is part of our society. It wasn't caused by football or caused by sports. There's no expert view right now that I'm aware of that sports is going to make that worse. <sighs> what? Yeah. Well, I I agree with everything up until that last sentence. No, COVID-19 was not caused by sports. Yeah. Okay? Could sports make it worse? I don't know. Imagine bringing thousands of people into an arena um uh to shout and cheer their favorite sports ball team. Could right. that make it worse? It might. Could it, it, it actually could. might. It Sound, actually might. Sounds like yeah. It uh it but it's such a small view of of the world sometimes that's out there. This is the less, you know, the disappointing part, right? It's not, yeah, is it football that is going to spread the disease? No, the ball itself, the act of playing is probably pretty, it's not, it's not zero risk. It's probably lower risk than everybody being in a, um, in, in a, um, in a stadium together. But, but there's all this infrastructure. There's all these people that have to go out. There's all these people that have to go get food and serve, you know, food to athletes and, and be trainers. And they're like, it's not, it's not just the football players. And, and this is popping up in the sports ball world. I'm, I'm, I continue to be cynical. Um, there are all the plans for the national basketball association, the national hockey league, um, major league baseball and, uh, the, the football, the NFL to, to come back. I don't think it's happening, right? Like you can put all these plans together, but no one's, we're it, 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 it's just not like possible. You're going to have these clusters of cases that decimates an entire team. And now what, now you've got a gap in your, in your schedule. It's just not realistic. Ugh. Ah, Don, sorry. Um, you want to talk about food safety things? There's a, there's a food safety COVID-19 crossover, um, like a DC Marvel. Ooh. Yeah. So, did did you see that? Um, I'm gonna put this in. I, I read this this morning as I did some prep uh, for what we we're gonna do today. Um, so as as we've talked about, we have a a joint um, uh, Dropbox that sometimes I look at and sometimes I wait until we start talking to look at, and then <laughs> and then I go to places like the food like Food Safety News and I look for things. And did you know that um, there was a group, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine? Uh, petitioned USDA oh. to 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 require USDA to test meat and poultry for COVID nineteen. I didn't know. I didn't know about this. Anyway, they I the physicians committee for responsible medicine are a bunch of uh, well, they're they're idiots, Ben. Um, and this <laughs> and this and this post uh, bears this out. So yeah. they've they've been on on board with a lot of really wackadoo uh, ideas over the years. Yeah. So so here's the. All right, so let, let's let's draw the line, right? Let, let's draw the let's let's draw the thread. Pull the thread. Let's let's make a thread out of out of this. Let's spin. Let, let me loom. Let me get my loom out. Uh, <laughs> or my spinning wheel. I'm making thread, Don. So um so so here's the where the petition comes from. Um, there are clusters of illnesses in meat and poultry processing plants, right? Yes. Okay. Check. Can, can check. <laughs> um, uh, are there clusters of illnesses in other places? Yes, but but let's focus on meat and poultry, right? So because of that, um, there's more people around with with the virus symptomatically and asymptomatically. Okay, check. I can I can get along. I can get on board with that. Now uh, the next step is um, because of that, they could be depositing the virus onto meat and poultry. You know what? I'll check that box. Could be. 
I, I think there are a lot of places, a lot of things in uh, in the way, but are are they more likely to deposit the virus on, on meat and poultry than they were a year ago? Yep. Now, here's where it all falls apart, and we've talked extent, ad nauseum, I believe the, the uh, Latin term is about this. Um, is there a, 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 a real risk, a high risk, a medium risk uh, of contracting COVID-19 from SARS-CoV-2 that was, that was placed on meat and poultry in a meat and poultry processing plant? My, my, my sense is no. Um, it's, it's so, so now it falls apart, right? So I've, I, you're with me on your argument up until that point. And then, so, but I think they're making the case that that is a problem. So we've got to start testing all of our meat for, um, SARS-CoV-2. Mm. Mm. Oh, they also want a warning label. <laughs> yeah. They want a warning label. Um, and uh, warning workers in the U S meat and poultry processing facility facilitates yeah. uh, that's gotta be a typo yeah. have been sickened or killed by the SARS CoV-2 virus. And this product has not been certified by virus free. free. Yep. That's and, true. You know, honestly, Ben, we should probably just, we should have warning labels on everyone. Right. Yeah. And say, look, uh, I'm not, I'm not to be, I have not. Well, I did get tested the other day. We talked about this. I got tested right, the other day. Right. It was negative. How long is that negative test good for? Right. Until I come into contact with another person. Right. It was good. It was good right up until you got, got the test done. Or right after that, and then right, yeah, right, exactly, yeah, yeah. Was it like here? Here's the thing between spitting into a test tube and sending it off. Um, uh, yeah, the test, the, the the test tells me I was I, I was virus free at the time I spit into the test tube, but but I by the time I got the results back, I could have been infected. Don, Don you're not certified virus free. Is that's what you're telling me? Holy. Well, I was I, I was certified <laughs> virus free at a time in the past. This is, this is true. This is this is all true. So. So anyway, this uh, USDA declined uh, this um, this request, this petition, uh, as well they should. Yeah, and and it's and and but this is the the kind of stuff like so. Here's oh, I love the internet and I love people and this is people make the world go round, right? But I I can now say okay, see another country, some other situation saying, well, you know what? This group says that we should be testing our meat. Right. And and it's, you know, it's right in their name, Ben. They're physicians. They're responsible. And they're more responsible and they're medicine. I mean, how could you how could you not want to do whatever they tell you to do to be responsible? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they also um, this is uh, from the bottom of the Food Safety News uh, article. The Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is a nonprofit research and advocacy organization for the promotion of a plant based diet and preventative medicine. Previously, petitioned FSIS to declare feces an adulterant in meat, <laughs> which is hard. How, how about how about to declare meat an adulterant? I mean, oh my gosh, I, yeah. I, clearly, if they if they want to promote a plant based diet, I think they should just advocate for the for the elimination of of, of USDA FSIS, right? Petition away. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Just get rid of the whole agency, and then the industry can do whatever they want, and that that may um, create more illnesses, and then people will just die off that are eating meat and poultry. I don't know. I there's uh, they're they're just there's I really I just have a great dislike. I, I you know I mean I appreciate advocacy groups, but I have a really a great dislike for these these uh, uh, PCRM uh, people. Right. 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 Well, and and I'll, like they're disingenuous, right? Yeah. I mean, I you know. But it's a game. Yeah. Have we talked about this in the past? Have you ever, in a had a had a dream of of uh, switching sides? 
Like, could you, would it, would it be fun? Straight shooter respected by both sides. Right. Straight shooter respected by both, both sides. Would it, I, I feel like it would be fun for a couple of years to go work for a group that I disagree with their science <laughs> and be like, no, no guys, you're doing it wrong. Here's a better way to advocate for this. Here's a more like, and play the game. I, there, there have been multiple times. I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Cause it's like, I'm really like what I do now, but I think it would be fun to to do that for a while to have like a, a, an unlimited budget to really like rip into the science but because we were on this side of the science because it's the two sides of the science um mm -hmm. we you 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 know the holes a little bit better right like they just yeah. made the wrong argument they're the right. argument there are arguments to be made here that that are that I wouldn't agree with but they just didn't make the right one um right. that would make for a better a, a better discourse and a better conversation yeah, I mean, well, and, and honestly, to require all meat and poultry establishments to test and report on a weekly basis, this, this is a horribly written article. Dan, Dan Flynn, you should you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, on a weekly basis, not basis, a weekly basis, the number of workers and the number of their family members with presumptive or confirmed SARS-CoV-2 infection and those dying of COVID-19, that that actually is kind of a good thing, right? Right, right. Like that would be good. That would be good information. And that would, and again, but I mean, you know, it's. I, I'm not sure that I, I'm, well, I'm not sure that FSIS has the regulatory authority to do that, right? Um, but 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 it would certainly be a good idea if if I was a meat and poultry plant and I had the resources, that would be a good thing to do uh, to try to manage that risk, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so here's my here's here's the other thing that caught my eye about this article. Okay, and this this comes into a conversation. No, I mean a, a Twitter discourse, um, a bunch of stuff that we've seen over the last couple of days. If if either of us, I'm you, I don't know if you notice this. I'm not posting a lot on Twitter. I'm doing a lot of lurking. Um, but, uh, I just haven't had anything to say. I'm <laughs> like, um, but, well, you know, everybody goes through phases. I like, uh, you know, actually Merlin again, not to name check him again, but he had been, he had been on fire on Twitter lately and just really doing a great job. So yeah, but I mean, every, you just need to, and you know, I was really active for a while and then I stepped back and then yeah. sort of stepped in and you know, it's just, you got you got you have to have set your priorities, right? You can't do everything all the time. So you just have to pick and choose. Right, right, right. Yes. So. So here's here's what I want here here's a word that I want you to to think about and talk and and talk to me about, um, airborne airborne transmission. Oh my God! I just had this conversation with my wife. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah. but 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 so, wait oh, before I, but, but wait I want I, you got to put a pin in it because I want I want to point you <laughs> to just wait just bottle it up for a second because I want to point you back no 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 I want to point you back <laughs> to this article that quotes USDA the the FSIS is response which i don't i i got we got to find this actual response but it says quote this so so anyway fsis says the petition did not include any reference uh, any reference studies or supporting information to demonstrate that covid-19 can be transmitted by meat and poultry products or any other food okay so dan flynn writes that quote right. the transmission study referenced in the petition focuses on common foodborne viruses such as norovirus and hepatitis a that can be transmitted by infected food handlers if they practice poor personal hygiene. Quote, the letter continues, and this is the part I want you to think about. Quote, the study does not suggest that airborne viruses such as SARS-CoV-2 and other coronaviruses can be transmitted by meat or poultry products. Don, did USDA FSIS just say that SARS-CoV-2 is an airborne virus? I think they did. 
Okay, so let's pivot now, um, as as people say in the corporate world, uh, to to the. I just we're not going to put it in the parking lot. We're, we're going to put that in a parking lot. I'm I'm, I'm building I'm building a case. Uh, okay. I, I'm building. I'm just let me let me tell you. I'm I'm being uh, very. Uh, I'm, I'm building the case here. Um, the, I sent you a CNN article. There was a whole bunch of conversations about this over the last couple of days. Uh, it basically, the World Health uh, Organization uh, said that that they um, are looking at. Uh, evidence about quote SARS-CoV-2 being airborne, and and but the art the title of another uh, headline is that that SARS-CoV-2 can float in the air, which is I think a little bit different than float, airborne, float like a butterfly, float like a butterfly. <laughs> anyway, so so let's talk about airborne transmission, um, and and airborne is it is it what does that what does that mean, and and and, and like this gets wrapped up into aerosolized, airborne, moisture droplets, floating away, floating around, all that kind of stuff. What's what, there's, there's a lot. So what you you said you were you were talking to the lovely Kristen about this about airborne and what how did that what what was that conversation all about? Well, she she started it. She said, "Oh, so what's this thing about the virus being airborne?" And so I I I would like us to just not use the word airborne, right? Because here here's my here's my take, right? The virus is spread person to person by respiratory droplets, okay? How does the respiratory droplet get from me to you? Well, it floats in the air, okay? So yes, the virus is airborne in that you you inhale air that someone else has exhaled that contains droplets of water that contain the virus, okay? So absolutely the virus is airborne. The key question is, what is the nature of those droplets? And again, we can, and then I'm not an uh, airborne uh, particle uh, physics expert, right? But my understanding is there are droplets, which are large particles, large bundles of water, and there are aerosols, which are smaller particles, smaller collections of water molecules. And there's a big drift, and I'm sure there's a distribution of droplet size, and I'm sure there's a distribution of aerosol size, okay? And so something that is in a droplet that those, and again, there's, there's laws, I think it's Navier-Stokes equation. I'll, I'll, let me Google that and I'll, I'll tell you. But basically there's, a, there's equations that tell you based on the particle size, the nature of the particle, the nature of the suspending environment, which in this case is air, those particles will settle out at a certain rate. Okay. The smaller the particle, the longer it stays in the air. And so the key question is how how is the virus spread is it spread by droplets yes is it spread by aerosols well there's some evidence that it might be okay and of course the truth is probably somewhere in between this gets to this idea of 6 foot social distancing it gets to the idea of wearing masks it gets to the idea of well you know people have done some mo- plume modeling how dangerous it is is it to ride behind Somebody who's on a bicycle, um, you want to be in their slipstream or not, uh, in, in somebody's slipstream when they're running or not, what's the risk of walking by someone depends upon, you know, and if you, and one, actually one thing that was really helpful for me thinking about this is think about if you're ever near someone or you're walking down the street and you smell cigarette smoke and you look around and you see, oh, there's a person who's smoking a cigarette. Well, they're more than six feet away from you, but you're smelling their smoke. Well, that's because those smoke particles, and again, don't quote me on this, but I think this is right. Those particles are 
uh, are basically aerosol particles, right? They're the, the size of those aerosol particles. So yeah, boy, I can smell the smoke. Well, guess what? If there was a virus particle that person just exhaled that was you know near that smoke particle, I would have just inhaled it, right? And so so th this is a really important question. But it doesn't. I just. I just don't. Using the word airborne is not helpful. Is my point. Ben. Yeah, I. I agree. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm. I'm with you. I, I agree with this. And I think this is one of those situations. It's almost like um, food poisoning versus what you know the the idea of uh, an infection from a foodborne illness. Right. We've almost lost the the uh, the ability the the vernacular has been used enough and people view airborne as the the term to describe it right like the the thought stream the technical aspect behind it is 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 not it's not correct but that's how people describe it so now we we've we've kind of i guess fallen into continuing that discussion because that's how people talk about it if that right. if that makes right. sense and and right and yeah, it, I talk about I, when I when people ask me what do I do, I say I study food poisoning. Right. I don't say I study foodborne disease because although that's t technically the correct term, because food poisoning has come to mean uh, you know getting sick from eating uh, food that contains um, you know foodborne pathogens or toxins made by uh, microorganisms. Yeah, well, and and here's here's the the trade off that we've made with food poisoning, right right or wrong, is that there's a very like um, uh, societal view on it that surprises people, right? Food poisoning is something tasted really bad or something like, like it was spoiled and it led to vomit later on. It, you know, it, invariably when, when I talk to journalists about general foodborne illness and we talk about pathogens not leading to spoilage and, you know, food tastes, smells, looks just fine leading to these illnesses like cyclospora in, in uh, lettuce right, right now, um, that, that is, you know, the idea of poisoning comes with some, some detection of taste, right. In, in many, in many people's view. And so this, I think airborne does the same kind of thing, right? Like what airborne means to me is, is exactly like I read it like you just described it, which is not. It's not, born in the air. Right, right. It <laughs> I is, mean, yeah. literally, it's 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 in the air, right? But, but is it floating around on wind currents from, like, could New Zealand be susceptible to a wind current of, of uh, SARS-CoV-2 coming from Australia because the virus is airborne and it's way well, up in the atmosphere? Well, it, it depends, right? Like, what's the nature of the particle? How many virus? Uh, what's the nature nature of the water particle? How many virus particles are in that? What are the inactivation kinetics relative to temperature and relative humidity and UV radiation and yada yada yada? And I would say yes, it's theoretically possible, but but it would have to be uh, billions of particles containing billions of virus particles, um, and you know, and the wind would have to go at a thousand miles an hour. Right, right, right? or, I mean, or ten thousand miles an hour, or yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so. So, so there would have to be this weird confluence of conditions, when the, which is, again, this is why we do risk assessment, right? We can look at all these probabilities. We can build models that, that factor all of them in, and we can say, yeah, you know, the probability that somebody in Australia is going to get sick from New Zealand is something like 10 to the minus 100, yeah, right? Yep. So, yeah. so probably we're not, we shouldn't worry about that as much as we should worry about something else. Yeah.
Yeah, no, absolutely. But but airborne, it's like you and I look at that and, and others. It's not just us. I think that that's, that's the heartburn that I think people have around it. I look at it. It's just got so many different definitions. And the the public understanding of it is is probably not it, in this case is not closer to the reality as it is in in other situations like adulterated right or or whatever. Um, so anyway, I did find just as as real time follow up. I did find the FSIS um, response to the petition on the on their mm-hmm. website, and it it absolutely does say the quote is is correct. Um, it, uh, it says the study does not suggest that airborne viruses such as SARS-CoV-2 and other coronaviruses can be transmitted by meat or poultry respiratory or meat or poultry products. Um, so I, that's not, it's not the word I would have used to write it, but, yep. but that's, yep. that's okay. So, so, so while we're, while we're talking about risks and airborne risks, um, I just sent you a very nice, what I think is a very nice comment. Uh, in the Lancet, uh, Lancet Infectious Diseases, uh, and the title of the the comment, it's a one-page comment, and we'll link to it in show notes. It's entitled, um, Exaggerated Risk of Transmission of COVID-19 by Fomites. And this uh, comes from a colleague of mine uh, at Rutgers, um, somebody I don't know. I did email him after uh, after I saw this um, uh, to basically uh, say, hey, thanks for writing this. So have have you seen this yet? Sorry, I was on mute. I have not, but I'm going through this right now, and this is this is super great. Yeah. So basically, and and this is a question that I keep asking, and I I'm going to continue to ask it um, because I, I I have not yet got an answer. Which is, can anyone point me? Let Let's set the side the, the whether it can be transmitted by food aside. Let's ask an even more. Um, direct question: Can it? Can the virus be spread by fomites? Right. In other words, if you touch something, if you have the virus and you touch something, or you cough on something, and then I touch that thing, how likely am I to get the virus from touching that thing? And this is something that's been of interest to me since day one of this, of me getting involved in looking about the virus on um, on social media. It kind of relates to the the viral video that I debunked on Twitter, um, and this confirms a lot of, of the things that I believe. And so basically, but what I've been asking people is, can you point me to examples in the published literature or preprints, I don't care, um, or in, even the, in the gray literature, it can be a report, I, don't, I really don't care, of situations where the virus has been transmitted by fomites. And the only case I can find is a situation where a couple traveled from, we, and I wrote about this, I think, in our uh, in our grant proposal. Yep, yep. A couple traveled from Wuhan, China to uh, Singapore, and they went to church, and they sat in a certain seat in the church, and then they left after that church service. Another individual came in for a prayer service after the church service. We know from CCTV that the third individual sat in the same seat. And the two individuals from Wuhan, they got sick with COVID-19 a couple days later. The individual who sat in the seat got sick with COVID-19 a week or more later. Um, and the only link, what, and they didn't meet at the service, okay, uh, the only link was they sat in the same seat. That is the only example that I can find in the, the published peer review literature. There's another example um, of a shopping mall where they think that the virus might have been, tr- been transmitted by, they can't find any other way. They hypothesize it was maybe an elevator or maybe it was in the restrooms, okay? Um, but again, very little information. And the third thing that came across my desk was a, an, a hospital in South Africa 
which is not published in the peer review literature. And I actually had a chance to read the article and I, I, I commented back to the person that shared it with me on Twitter saying, well, this is pretty, this is pretty weak sauce. Um, there's not, uh, they, they don't, they talk about the transmission from the patients that there's a whole bunch of staff in the hospital that were infected. Uh, they don't talk about where the staff was and where the staff moved. I mean, the staff could have easily spread the virus from patient to patient. Um, uh, and so again, I'm left with I don't see the evidence. And again, what uh, what my colleague Emmanuel Goldman uh, lays out so very nicely here is that uh, you know, in in a, in a very logical way, is that the the transmission from from surfaces seems to be very low. Yeah, and yeah. we should, and not that we should stop worrying about it. Like, yes, you can keep washing your hands. You should keep using hand sanitizer. Those are all good things, but mostly stay away from people. And if you can't stay away from people, you should wear a mask, right? So let's and it go. And then another thing that, that we could we could talk about um, is a wonderful tweet by a great Twitter follower uh, who goes by the name of Sage. And in, in his in his bio, he says, uh, "Not a wise person nor the plant." Okay. <laughs> So um, we'll, we'll, we'll find his, his actual Twitter name. But, but, but Sage, uh, he's, I think he's a graphic designer, and he was debunking this uh, risk ranking, this risk chart where the risk goes from zero to 10. Um, uh, have, did you see that tweet? I did. I, I retweeted it. Yeah, you did. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It was good. And, and, I, and it's I, great. I mean, because it's like, well, you know, my key point is, oh, yeah, these are artificial. And also, like, risk number one, the risk that's one is opening the mail, and risk of nine is going to a bar. But that doesn't mean— <laughs> That if you open your mail nine times, that's equivalent risk of going to the bar, right? So the the scale is wrong. Risk risk scales logarithmically, and so there's orders of magnitude difference in risk from opening your mail uh, versus going to a bar. It's not a difference of ten, right? Right, or right, and, and nine or eight. It's I, a difference of orders of magnitude. Let, let me tell you that I loved your um, that that very simple tweet of exactly what you just said. It, it like really resonates like that is that is the problem with trying to put things on some sort of a scale because it is our nature to compare them right like if it's on a scale I'm, I'm, that that's the whole point the the continuum of risk is not something that I can I, you know even in the like if we if we started putting like green and yellow and red on certain activities outside like coming into this bar this is a red right that's high risk going into a park well this is a yellow well if I go to the park six times and I go to the bar once or three or three yellows a red right like like those that just that concept and thinking about it that way really helped me and like literally you did that in way less than 140 characters um <laughs> and but it's that it's so it, it it's so it's so true we're we're trying to we're trying to make this easy but there's nothing about risk comparison that's easy like like right like it's we're, we're trying to distill this down and in the 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 way that i think we we can continue to distill it down is the the all the things that you do that involve going next to people those things are riskier than things that don't involve going next to people that's it's as simple as that right well and well and it maybe well just to make it a little more complicated because that's what we do right okay, okay. Um, it matters what you're doing next to the, yes. those people yes it does are you physically exercising are you singing are you all wearing masks are you sitting quietly are one thing that's a, that i've heard discussion of which actually makes a lot of sense to me are you facing the other person yep. or are you side by side, right? Now, granted, when you're singing, you're probably not facing each other, but you are inhaling and exhaling a lot of air. Also, are you inside or outside, right? Um, 
are, are you, um, uh, what's the airflow, right? Again, one of the other great examples um, of asymptomatic transmission is the Chinese restaurant, right? Where we show that the transmission was greater than six feet, but it was only in the direction of the air movement from the air conditioning, right? And so th these are, these are all, all things that have to be, have to be considered when you're, when you're looking at risk. Well, and, and this is, so I want to, I want to come back to the Emmanuel Goldman um, comment and, and talk a little bit about the, you know, restaurant, re restaurants reopening and dining rooms reopening. Right. So, so in w one thing that I, that I would, and, and I think I will write about this. I was like, one thing I would add to this, you know, in, in his uh, final comments, he writes, in my opinion, the chance of transmission through inanimate surfaces is very small and only in instances where an infected person coughs or sneezes on the surface and someone else touches the surface soon after the cough or sneeze within one to two hours. Where could I see that happening more than not? Menus, condiments, mm. tables mm -hmm. in a restaurant. Does like so? So his next point is: I don't disagree with erring on the side of caution, but this can go to the extremes, not justified by the data. Although periodically disinfecting surfaces and using gloves are reasonable precautions, especially in hospitals, I believe that fomites have not been in contact with an infected carrier for many hours. Do not pose a measurable risk of transmission in non-hospital settings. I, I agree with that, but I could I, I can definitely show and model and without being a modeler, what it looks mm. like in a restaurant with yep. multiple people coming in, multiple people yep. who are, are uh, you know, infected or not infected, coughing, taking masks off, taking them off, on, talking loudly, depositing virus particles. That, that to me, this really, I guess, supports, you know, to the that periodic disinfection of those tables and of those menus and of those condiment bottles. Um, well, and honestly, also supports my decision to continue to uh, not go to restaurants. Right, right. I had a great, a great request from a reporter, um, and I, the story hasn't come out yet. But I'll, in a minute, I'll, I'll see if I can find it in my in my email. But basically, uh, her her question was: um, so some food reporters uh, who have decided to not go to restaurants because they are worried about them, they, the reporters, uh, or the fruit critics, um, presenting a risk to workers, um, because they, the, the critics are not masked and the workers are masked and they, they just, they're, they're not going to go to restaurants because they don't want to expose the workers to the risk from themselves. And, you know, the question was, what do you think of this? And I'm like, yeah, I have to agree. I think that's a very, um, that's a very noble thing to do, to refuse to go and to continue to patronize takeout and uh, and delivery. Yeah, those are those are great things, and and I I don't have a problem with that. I think that that if that's that's their decision, I would I would support it. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. I've I talked to um, I talked to a guy from the New York Times who is a longtime critic, uh, food critic. Uh, what is his name? I've talked to him a couple of times now, and we've had really interesting conversations because. And he he kind of um, gosh New York Times Chapman I want to say his name is Fred but I don't think it's Fred uh, is it safe to go out here it is uh, Pete Pete Wells um, and so he he uh, he and I have talked on numerous occasions like we we talked on the phone you know, eight or 10 times now, um, uh, over the course of this, uh, this pandemic. And he said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, early on, this is back in March. I think the first time may, uh, maybe, I don't know when it was the first time we talked about it. He's like, okay, so I, I, you know, my job has changed because I used to go to multiple restaurants a week and eat and experience it. And I can't do that now. So now I'm writing about what it's like to experience food <laughs> 
in in a pandemic and it's and it's and it's very very different we early this the, i think the first conversation that we had was back in, in may around um face coverings and masks and and he said so so what you're saying is people should wear a mask going into the restaurant they should sit down and if they're going there with with someone else they should continue to wear their mask they should order their food with their mask on they should then when the food arrives, you know, take their mask off for a little bit and eat and then put their mask on when they're done eating. He's like, let me get this straight. Is that what you're saying? And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He goes, well, that seems really awkward. I'm like, yeah, it's awkward. A pandemic is awkward. Like this, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. nothing about this that is the same. If if someone really wants to experience what they had before, they they really can't. They, the the in in a safe way, in a way that that's risk risk reduced. Interacting with those with those servers who are, you know, think about a nightmare for a contact tracer. Oh, a server at a at a restaurant that's that's even open at twenty percent capacity. How many individuals are they interacting with at less than six feet over the course of of a day? Hundreds, maybe. Like so, so your your exposure as a patron is to one of those servers who has maybe been talking and exp- and exposed to hundreds of people. Um, it, it's, it's just a node of, of, of potential. So, so anyway, he said, okay, well, what am I going to do with my mask when I'm, when I'm eating it? Do I take it off? Do I, how do I, how do I place it? Do I put it in my pocket? Do I put it on the seat beside me? Do I, do I put it on the table? I'm like, well, and, you know, think about protecting the inside of that mask. Cause what's, what's the, what am I really trying to do is, is someone who comes by, who is at another table, who I don't have any control over what seat I'm at based on those air, the airflow in that, in that, um, restaurant. If someone is depositing or ex, uh, expelling moisture droplets with SARS-CoV-2 in it, I want to make sure that they don't land on my, uh, my open mask. So fold it over, you know, put, put it, maybe put it in a Ziploc bag. So anyway, that just the intricacies of that conversation from a, from a food critic standpoint, he was like, this is blowing my mind. Like I've, well, I, yeah. Yeah. And think about that. Like what if you're infectious, right? Right. Well, the, the inside of your mask is also going to be the point where the greatest amount of virus particles. Right. And so, yeah, maybe. And, you know, it's interesting. I've heard people recommend um, I have recommended Ziploc bags in the past, but I've also heard people recommend paper bags. Right. With the idea being that a paper bag will actually allow that mask to dry out mm. more than a Ziploc bag. Um, but if you didn't have a bag, I would say maybe put it in your pocket, but then realize again, the, again, we can kind of get into the crazy zone of like the, the, the doctor who made the viral video. Right? right. Like, well, OK, now I put my mask in my pocket and I'm infectious now. My pocket is infectious. Okay, well, hopefully at the end of the day, I'm I'm gonna have launder that shirt, right? If I put it in my shirt pocket, so I'm gonna launder that shirt. But then anything I take in and or out of that pocket is potentially contaminated with the virus. I mean, it gets it gets kind of into a little bit of crazy making, you know, going down that road. But that's that's kind of the way we have to think. But again, I would still come back to, but the big risk is people, right? And so yeah. honestly, how I'm going to manage my risk uh, of getting sick from a restaurant is I'm not going to go to a restaurant. I'm going to continue to use takeout, right? right. Um, and, and because I just, it's, and it's, you know, it's restaurants are open in New Jersey. I, I went to my favorite pizza place. We got pizza the other night. Um, and I had to walk by all the people without masks who are sitting at tables, hanging out, uh, you know, and again, the idea of I, I, the other thing I'll quibble with is percent capacity. I don't care 
what the percent capacity is. What I care is how distant are the tables from one another, right? And there for sure, there were people that were within six feet of each other at those tables, not wearing masks. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is. um, Oh my gosh. So uh, you and I have been doing a lot of work, um, you know, with the, with the food industry, Right. Because that's what we do is mm-hmm. we we help them come up with some science based actions and solutions or whatever. And so I've struggled with this because, you know, I'm, I'm the you know, drove this this idea of this uh, this program here in North Carolina. I didn't drive the idea. I drove the um, the uh, technical training for reopening dining rooms and restaurants. This count on me program count on me NC program, which we've talked about in the past. And and I. I, no one's asked me about this, and but I'm I'm ready for the discussions, which I'm going to have with you right now, on on how do I reconcile the we shouldn't be reopening things quickly with it you know helping the restaurant industry reopen right like like that how do we how do I reconcile that that that's a conflict in my mind like should restaurants be open yes or no is not actually even part of my discussion because restaurants that's that's out of my it's out of my it's realm. Not up, it's not up to us to right. decide whether they're open or not. That's up to governors, right? That's what that's what they're getting paid to do. Our job is to pr- provide people advice given whatever's happening, right? It, yes. And, and my my advice, and I'm giving. I just gave it a minute ago on the podcast. My advice. Well, my advice is do what you want, right? But for me, I'm not going to go to a restaurant, right? That's my advice. But now, if a restaurant came and said, "How can we do this safely?" I would say, "Well, that's the wrong word. How can we do this minimizing risk?" I'll I'll work with you on that, right? And it involves keeping people distant. It involves having and enforcing rules on masks, right? Um, maybe it also involves testing your employees. I think that's not a bad idea. Again, all these things cost money, but it's like, well, you didn't you didn't ask me how you can save money. You asked me how you could how you could do this and reduce risk, right? So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you all of those ideas. Right. So all, all of that is where, where, where I'm kind of at. It's, uh, and, and in my mind, it goes back to just, you know, the, the genesis of, of what we do on food safety talk. It's like raw milk Amsterdam, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. the right thing or not, I need to make sure just philosophically, if someone's going to open, how do I help them do it in, a, in the safest possible way, in the most risk reduced way for themselves and their patrons? And, and, and because people are going to open and in other other uh, jurisdictions are going to open quicker and some are going to open slower. But but some at some place, we've got to be able to get people information on how to how to do this. One thing I like that I find really, really interesting in this whole thing. And I, I saw a headline on this and I didn't I couldn't find the paper and I'll, I didn't do enough digging. But um, one, the headline that I saw last week was that um, people who don't wear masks. This was like some, you know, survey study. People who don't wear masks can't describe how the virus is transmitted, right? Don't don't have a good understanding of virus transmission. Hmm. And that to me is something that I I had I, I guess I had missed in our how do we work with restaurant operators, right? Like I, you know, I often come out things like, here are the risks, these are the things that we're doing. We we didn't get we we talked about how the virus gets transmitted, but we didn't get into the particulars of the specifics on why food isn't isn't is is low risk, why person to person is risky. And so we started working on that um on some visuals and some graphics for that um about a week ago. But that it, just that headline st- stuck with me because the the issue 
it's yes, it's it's super political, but it's also a public understanding of science. It's a understanding of the mechanics of infection. It's all the epidemiology stuff that that you and I are are adjacent to, and it's all the microbiology stuff that we're really close to. Being able to describe that, it, you know, someone has to value that information, has to understand it, and has to believe it to put a mask on. Uh, and right. That's well, and and the other thing is like, well, well, I'm not, I'm not sick. It's like, well, yeah, but guess what? We think that a number of infections are are spread by pre-symptomatic people, and also we think that that it looks like again, and I'll, I can't point you to the papers, but I'm, but I, I think I've, I think they're they're out there, or at least the the speculations are out there that the peak transmission period is just as you're getting just before you get sick just as you're getting sick and just after you've been sick right and so just just that there's a window there where you're really at peak transmissibility you're much less you're again you're shedding virus for weeks potentially or for for yeah for several weeks but the really the peak transmissibility the greatest concentration of the virus occurs in that window that's right around the day when you get sick it's right before and right after so right right well and so what one more bit of important follow-up um yes if you Google raw milk Amsterdam, I'm very sad to see that we are number four. What? Uh, uh, Google, the first one is, where can I buy raw milk in Amsterdam? <laughs> um, uh, the next one is a Reddit post, raw, uh, parentheses, raw, close parentheses, milk, preferably in or near the center uh, of Amsterdam. And then the third one on Yelp is the top 10 best raw milk in Amsterdam. So, But we're number four, man. We're number four. We're number four. And then... And then nothing else after us that, that is us as well. Uh, it's uh. all just it's all just Amsterdam. And uh, my favorite is number five on the list is fresh milk tour near Amsterdam dash my wooden shoes. My wooden shoes sounds like a really good band name, and in fact, uh, show title my wooden shoes. Oh, that's funny. My 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 number five is uh, how Dutch Gouda is made at a hundred year old family farm. Oh well, that's nice too. Uh, um, so. All right. One other thing I wanted to ask you about was, um, oh, do you want to you want to talk a little bit? We, I mean, we talked a bunch about um, our, you know, the we talked about the list of uh, um, COVID nineteen things and things that we do, but we didn't talk about weird sous vide <laughs> at all. Do you want to talk about weird weird sous vide? An sure. Email that someone that someone that we know got. Sure. Okay. I feel like can we can we out how we got this email right or should we redact it? Um, I don't remember how we got it, so it's already redacted from my brain. Oh, okay, dear doctor, redacted. Okay, I am concerned. Oh yes, oh sorry. This this is so this is a this is a it's a weird message that. So one of the things that we've started. All right, I remember now. So I'll, yeah. I'll just give a brief brief description. So there there as you as you know, listener of podcasts, um, our podcast, Ben and I work in extension. We have friends and colleagues who work in extension. Um, we, we often get very weird messages from our quote unquote clients. Um, and so, (laughs) (laughs) um, we often, it's probably, it's, it's not, it's probably not, um, it's not a best practice, but we do share these with each other. Yes. Um, and we laugh. And we commiserate like, oh, isn't that a silly question that you got? But so, you know, any and so obviously anyone who's sending these these kind of silly questions probably is not listening to the podcast because honestly, folks who listen to the podcast send really good questions. OK, but um, yeah, so sometimes we share these with each other and sometimes we talk about them on our podcast. So, yeah, so our we get messages. Our friends get messages from people that are a little bit, you know, 
a little bit strange. Um, and we share them uh, sometimes publicly. Okay. Yes, yes. Speaking of which, I, the person who we received <laughs> it from, I, um, air, I, I, I'm committed an error by sending a text just out of context <laughs> of my wooden shoes uh, to, to Dr. Redacted. And, uh, and Dr. Redacted said, um, question mark, well, it was good to hear from you. I feel that you guys never respond to my texts. Sometimes you send texts in the middle of the night. Uh, so anyway, uh, so l- let me read the this how we got it was from from Doctor Redacted. Uh, I'm concerned, and this is the the uh, email quote. I am concerned that the sous vide cooking of foods to 150 degrees F within Ziploc plastic bags has the following problems. <laughs> Bullet number one: It heats chicken to 150 degrees Fahrenheit when chicken should be cooked to 165 degrees Fahrenheit to assure bacteria have been killed. Okay, we're going to come back to that. We're going to no. Okay. Let's do them one by one. Good call. Okay. All right. So all right. So well, this so immediately this this person is a food safety expert, right? Because they know the proper temperature for cooking chicken. Um, but they are apparently not an expert in is anything having to do with microbiological inactivation kinetics, right? The whole purpose of sous vide is that you can do low temperature for a long time, and that gives you can give you if you if you do your math right can give you an equivalent uh, to high temperature short time, right? And so that's the magic of sous vide. Um, but this person is a, a pedant, I would say, and they somehow have. <laughs> learned um, uh, that 165 is the correct temperature and therefore thou shalt always cook chicken to 165. Otherwise, it's deadly poison, which is obviously not true. It's magic too. And I I do feel like we should respond to um, the individual who did not allow, did not know that we were going to talk about this on a podcast. Um, But I I feel like I should send him the paper out of Canada um, that a friend of the show and and a friend of ours in in real life, Jeff Farber was a co-author on that suggests that Canadian chicken specifically should be cooked to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> so, well, you know, I don't trust the Canadian chicken. Right. Well, the Canadian chickens, anyway, the, we, and we've talked, we, I'm sure we talked about that in a very early podcast episode, uh, but it has to do with um, different data sets and, and more chickens in Canada, the spe- Canadian specific chickens with a higher load of uh, Campylobacter and Salmonella on it than what was uh, used to, just to get at 165 here in the U.S. Anyway. Um, well, and, and Jeff Farber's a well-known, uh, you know, he's a well-known conservative when it comes to food safety. Jeff, Jeff is very risk-averse. Risk-averse. He's a risk-averse guy. Um, so anyway, uh, that bullet number one, it heats – it sounds like this is Silence of the Lambs for chicken <laughs> all the way. It heats chicken to 150 degrees Fahrenheit and puts it, it in the chicken. bag. It, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it puts the chicken in the bag and heats it to 150. Uh Oh, that's terrible. Um, okay, bullet number two. It is unclear if estrogenic chemicals are released from the Ziploc bag during cooking. These estrogenic chemicals may pose a risk of cancer, especially for women with a family history of breast cancer. Okay, so this yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this. Here, well, here's the thing. I mean, it, it is. It is probably not a best practice to use a Ziploc plastic bag for doing sous vide because Ziploc plastic bags are not designed for sous vide. Um, but, you know, and there, you can find people out there, reputable, you know, well, semi-reputable, people with PhDs after their name who study these chemicals, who say that, you know, th- there's a risk. Um, you know, and again, in the hierarchy of things I'm worried about, this is not high up on my list. Right. Absolutely. 
Um, so I, I just sent you a link to uh, CNET from I know because we you and I basically we could make this uh, sous vide safety talk because we do talk about sous vide a lot. Um, the this is a um, a mm. quote from from CNET that says the Ziploc website, for example, says that all of its bags are BPA and dioxin free. Oh. Yeah, which okay. is some of the chemicals most people are afraid of when using plastic oh. that are estrogen. Yeah, so huh. so pro like I think because like my guess they're. Um, Ziploc is, you know, it's a bag that is, I think it's marketed as microwave safe. This is something oh. that the zip, oh. the, yeah, the Ziploc bags, are, they focus on this. They want to know, oh. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing. If Ziploc is selling you a bag that they have said is microwave safe, I have no, absolutely no problem to use it in sous vide. Yeah. And I think it is. I, let, let, let's not quote me on that, but that is one of the, um, I believe in, in researching this in the past. Um, okay. So, so we've got that. Um, next thing that we have is, um, oh, I was just delivered a, a, a biscuit from my, from oh, my nice. yeah, from my biscuit maker. Uh, nice. yeah. Uh, um, okay. Where I lost the, I lost the thread. Where's my email? So, uh, Ziploc bags. Oh yeah. Okay. Here we go. Um, next bullet, the landfill does not need unnecessary plastic waste. Okay. Fair enough. Well, that's, that's true. That's yep. true. W what can be done? Okay. So here are some suggestions for us in the sous vide world. Um, you could the next bullet. You could cook food using sous vide method in Ziploc bags and do chemical analysis or mass spectrophorometry. Yeah, uh, that's, to, it's supposed to be mass yeah. spectrometry, but, yes. the, but it's misspelled by this expert. Right. Uh, so both mass spectrometry and spectrophorometry uh, to look for estrogenically active chemicals re released from Ziploc bags. True. We could do that. We could. Well, I. I can. Somebody could. Someone could. I. 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 I couldn't. I mean, I. I know somebody who could. Right. 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 Okay. So instead of Ziploc bags, the chicken could be cooked, and this is where I want to throw this, this towards is, you. This, see, this. Now, here's the thing, Ben. This has been an interesting email up to this point. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now we're it getting is good. Fascinating. <laughs> yes. Instead of Ziploc bags, the chicken could be cooked in a tightly fitting metal in tightly fitting metal cylinders. The chicken could be placed on the outer cylinder and the tightly fitting inner cylinder pushed into the outer cylinder. There could be an open tube in the middle of the inner cylinder to allow air to escape while pushing the inner cylinder into the outer cylinder. This so metal tube. Yeah, there's a lot. We're, we're making this is like Silly. a chicken donut. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. We're pushing. We're pressing our chicken through. Um, the metal tube could be sealed with a metal screw cap. Once the chicken was tightly compacted in the outer cylinder, the metal cylinders could be heated in the sous vide cooking containers and be a replacement for the Ziploc bags. Okay. Go while I send the dog out of the room. Go. <laughs> okay. So th this is fascinating. I think this person is a, is a, um, uh, kind of a, um, a frustrated engineer. I mean, I just imagine him sitting here, and I think it's a he, sitting here um, describing how the one cylinder fits inside the other cylinder. <laughs> and he's just, he's basically, he's basically gonna, he's making this highly efficient can for retorting or, you know, sous vide cooking this chicken. Um, of course, one thing you have to realize is that a chicken is not, this might work for a uniform food product that is deformable. Um, the chicken is not uniform, nor is it terribly deformable. And so this, this seems like a very 
uh, very complicated uh, process, but but it probably would work. Right. And but so do you know what the funny part about this whole thing is, right? So one of the big the risk, not the biggest risk, but the risk that people in public health are concerned about or uh, I guess are twofold when it comes to sous vide. One is time temperature combinations, which we can solve. Right. We've got that under control. But it's also creating this anaerobic environment by drawing a vacuum on foods that could have, um, you know, anaerobes, uh, and specifically Clostridium botulinum. And so, so um, you know, this individual um, redacted, redacted MD, UC Davis Medical School class of 1975 um, doesn't talk about that risk. And I think his uh, the the donut, um, the you know meat donut that you described would would also facilitate this. You know, we've got a screw cap. We're, we're pushing this meat into this chamber. First of all, I've got to make sure that the meat is the right size. You know, I'm and I'm like now I've got this like very. Uh, chicken breast um, that's stuck in in my my sous vide donut metal donut, um, but but I I'm still we're still dealing with the same risk issue that he hasn't really thought about or is not top of his mind of cooking food under vacuum that is right in the name sous vide. So I yeah anyway it's a great like thank you for um, uh, redacted redacted MD uh, thinking about this. And and coming to us with with some suggestions on sous vide. I'm gonna just go ahead and and use my um, immersion circulator with uh, with a vacuum sealer uh, and not not Ziploc, um, mainly because I find that the Ziplocs never seal very well, and uh, and there's all extra air, and I'm just gonna do my sous vide the way that I do my sous vide. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think so. But anyway, I, he took the time to write, and and I guess he took the time to write to our colleague because our colleague is, um, you know, he has a, he has an a historical and historical connection with our colleague's institution. So um, I guess I guess it kind of makes sense. But anyway, yeah, wow, wow. Um, so uh, there was one other thing you got. You, you have a heart out. Do you want to? I do. You, you want to just like two quick hits? I guess one on Cyclospora. Um, and just by basically mentioning there's a whole bunch of cyclospora <laughs> illnesses yet, yet again linked to, to produce like over 400 now. And it looks like it's something to do with the mid Midwest and it's one likely one, one processing plant that has a cyclospora issue. And one of our, um, our friends and colleagues made a very astute suggestion um, that I, that I'll share, um, mm. without, without attribution, uh, mm -hmm. because I don't, I don't think the, this colleague wanted it to be shared with attribution, but, um, maybe someone should look at the water supply of the food manufacturing spot because, um, it, there, maybe their well has cyclospora, maybe, maybe. Yeah. So this. So so yeah. So this is a a large processor who has made uh uh has has was linked to illnesses last year and now linked again uh, to illnesses this year. And yes. so uh, that is a recurring situation. And yeah. And you sh if you can find a link to the because I'm just I'm just uh, googling cyclospora and produce. I'm just finding generic pages on FDA and CDC. So if you can send me a link to the actual outbreak. Um, uh, information that would be great. We can link to it in show notes. So yeah. So man, cyclospora. It's bad news, but it looks like in this case they they. Boy, I mean, I know it's easy for us to armchair quarterback this stuff, right? But it it sure seems like if I was that plant, I would be pulling out all the stops trying to figure out what it could possibly be because there is a definitely a pattern there. 
Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and, and so this, this actually goes into one other thing that I wanted to talk about really quick before we go. And that is, um, so we're in the midst of a pandemic, right? No, no. Are we? Wait, yeah, what? That's what? what I heard. It's what I heard. Pandemic? Oh. Um, now I have it at my house in weeks. Right. And public health dollars are limited and mm. food safety dollars are limited, right? Right. right. So, it's the same, same pot of money, basically. Yeah. And so outbreaks, we, we talked a couple of episodes ago about um, recalls and outbreaks and, and I guess challenges that, that our colleagues in the world of, of public health are, um, are feeling. And so, so the fact that any of these um, outbreaks are getting – uh, looked at and attention in such a stretched um, situation is really like really key, right? Like like there's probably outbreaks that are going on that we're not investigating, um, or because right. we just don't have resources. So so I got a message that I'm gonna read, and again I'll redact this. And this is uh, came to me, um, and it was uh, you know something that I wanted. We I think we need to come back to, but I wanted to 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 prime you a little bit. Here's a suggest. This is quote. Here's a suggested topic for your food safety talk. Due to the pandemic, companies are cutting food safety professionals to save money. Is this a prudent? What? Yeah. Is this a prudent cost saving activity? And what what is what will this cost companies in the long run? And so we went back and forth a little bit on this. And I, my my response was I hadn't I hadn't realized this was happening at all. Um, I just talked to a reporter about grocery stores and specifically said that they have to worry about COVID-19 and salmonella because the other pathogens aren't magically going away. It's, it's super short-sighted time to reduce staff. Um, and, yeah. and this individual said, yeah, I'm like, you know, basically I'm, I'm a casualty of this. My, the Oof. company that I work for, and this is someone that, that who you would know, mm-hmm. that, you know, they cited we have problems with our budget. And one, and we are, man, we have to put a bunch of money already into um, changing our operations due to COVID nineteen, and so, so you're you're getting laid off. Um, and well, and and here's the thing, like that that makes perfect sense because you can lay off a food safety person and you'll be fine. Gosh, until it, you aren't, and right? then you're going to pay for it double, right? Yeah. So it's re- it's really it's well it's literally short sighted, right? Yeah, and that's that's the problem with food safety is you 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 might be fine for a while, right? But but eventually you are going to have a problem and you're going to wish that you had that person, right? Because because now now you're screwed, right? Well, and and so so this is the like th- this is one of the ripple effects, and I'm we're neither of us run food service companies, so we're we're not ones who are making decisions. And, but the ripple effect is we know that there, like, there's an, there's an economic situation here, right? So, so I, you know, I'm not going to share who this company is, but I'll, I'll tell you that I, my bet is that their sales have gone way, way down, right? So much, so money is less than it was. You've got to make decisions on how do you keep staying in business? Well, let's cut things that, that we, we, we have to do the, the COVID-19 things. Maybe we can get away with not doing food safety for a while. And Man, it's it's it, you know the the last part of this this message is I know my colleagues in similar positions and competing companies have also been let go. So this mm-hmm. isn't just like one individual. This is a a food safety professional world situation, right? Wow. So yeah, this is and so I I'm I always feel like, you know, you and I we're we're very much in a in a in a bubble. Um we don't we don't deal with corp competing corporate issues um you know so much. 
And, and this is, I'm, I'm very glad that this individual reached out because I'm thinking more about this, right? Like this is, mm-hmm. this becomes part of the discussions when I do talk to, um, journalists, when I do, Absolutely. right? Like yes. this, this is something that the, what, you know, tell me about how, like, have we not done a good job, you know, managing a pandemic? Absolutely. It's been terrible, right? Like we've got lots of illnesses. What are the, what are the long-term effects? Well, we, we, you know, there, there are long-term uh, health effects, uh, you know, from COVID-19, but we also are, are going to see long-term health effects in other areas. If we just don't have resources to go into food safety and man, that's a, it just kind of hit me like a gut punch when I got this. Um, this, you know, we had, we had this conversation back and forth. And so, so anyway, I wanted to, I wanted to leave you with this at the end to think about, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and I think we need to, we need to keep talking about this in, in subsequent episodes and making sure that it's part of our, um, you know, our, our thought process and our discussions as we're talking about what are the, what are the impacts of this, of this pandemic? Yeah. And, and it's, and it's going to come, I mean, the, the, the food safety chickens are going to come home to roost, right? Like this is, this is not a problem that will go away. It is, it is going to just like the virus, right? If you just go back to normal, the virus is going to come back. If you stop to stop taking your eye off food safety, you're going to have food safety problems. Oh, yeah. And in, in the, you know, the, the real aspect for us in, in, you know, I would say the public health advocacy world, right? That's what we're interested in is less illnesses is that this leads to more illnesses in the in the corporate or the the decision maybe not just corporate but in the business decision making world um someone's making a trade off that says okay we're going to have illnesses what's better covid-19 illnesses or food safety illnesses right okay well we've decided that we can live with the risk of food safety illnesses right now oh man i don't want to be in that position so, no, I I would honestly try to find a different place to cut. Right, I would too. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, the, but, the, but what, what what do we know? We're just food safety guys. Exactly. Um, so anyway, with that, um, you got you got an out in four minutes, so we should probably yep. call it a show. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks again, Don. Uh, food safety talk always my my favorite time of two weeks. Uh, as much oh, as me too, me too. Uh, you you and I we you know we we dabble in other podcasts, but this is the this is the OG. This is my this is the fate my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I will I will talk to you later. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.
All right. Sorry, that should give us enough time to for you to yeah schedule and then and this one's mine. So yep. and I, I'm gonna go with my wooden shoes. Like that's okay. The... I, I have I captured a bunch of titles which I will I will put I put in the I'll put in the show note links file and you can see if there's another one you like better. But that's I, fine. I've already like started finding <laughs> sure Google pick, searching. Yeah, Google searching clogs. So I'm sorry. It's gonna be my wooden shoes. That's um, fine. Um. Okay. So let's look here. July 8th, so fast forward two weeks. Guess what? July 22nd, I'm not doing anything, not traveling anywhere. I'm wide open all day. Cool. Um, I'm also wide open on July 23rd. Oh, okay. Uh, let me see what the uh, – I got stuff both of those days. Uh, but I, I'm free in the morning on the 22nd. So Okay. Good. Nine. Nine o'clock. Yep. Do it again. Are you good nine till like 11? You're good. Uh, yeah, nine to 11, and I've got Perfect. even after that unless I schedule something. So. Okay. Perfect. Done. Um, all right. Got it. All right. Cool. So look look for those show notes yep. to, to appear momentarily. There, I'll do a little bit of cleanup because um, sometimes if, the, if you link to a PDF, the the uh, the the text slug is kind of you know crude looking, but I'll I'll, I'll fix all that up. So oh, okay, uh, I'll, that's, I'll that's fine. do that on my on my conference call. So. I may so so I've got a I've got a forty five minute window right now. So ah, I'm so I, we'll get busy. Yeah. I think I'm going to do it now and then not do. I will do the tra- the um, script next time. Next time, yeah, yeah. cool. Because this I can I, I can bang this out before noon and we're good. You'll get it done exactly. Yep. Cool. Good idea. All right. Well, I will talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.